Gospels. Um, we're going to be in Luke 9, 23-27, and so you can go ahead and turn there. But uh, to give you a little bit of background what's going on, so Jesus is praying by himself uh, in private, and he's with his disciples, and uh, after he's done praying, he looks at his disciples and he asks them, who do the crowd uh, say that I am? And, you know, the, the disciples say, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're a prophet that's come back to life. And then he looks at Peter and says, what about you? Who, who do you say that I am? And uh, so the question I want you guys to think about as I'm talking is, who do you say Jesus is? Who uh, do you believe Jesus to be? And so uh, we're going to be in Luke 9, 23-27. This is just a few verses after this. And it says, uh, Jesus says, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So I also want to apologize before I get going because some people say I, I've been known to talk really fast. So I'm going to try to slow down uh, for you guys. So I'm excited to be here. Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, like Tony said, I'm from Wichita. Uh, born and raised Kansas kid. So I love Kansas. Um, just get laid to land. Who, who's a K-State fan in here? Just throw your hand up. What about the Jayhawks? Let me see who's the Jayhawks. All right. So I used to live in Lawrence when I was young. And so I grew up watching KU basketball. And so I'm not opposed to the Jayhawks, nor do I hate them. You know, I'm, I'll wear a KU shirt if I go to a basketball game, so I'm not against Lawrence at all. Um, so a little, about, a little bit about my family is I have uh, two brothers and a sister. I have an older brother who uh, lives in Kansas City, and he's working there. I have a little brother who actually is a freshman on the K-State football team, and he, he's going to be a way better athlete than I ever was at K-State. Um, and I have a little sister, only sister. And uh, she goes to Sterling, and she'll be a senior this upcoming year. And me and my brothers are very, very protective of my little sister. There's been guys who try to talk to her and, you know, uh, try to date her. And me and my brothers are not going to let that happen. I've told my sister time after time, you know, you ain't going to get married. It's not going to happen. And uh, we've threatened multiple guys who come on the premises of our home. And so uh, that's my sister. So growing up, sports was a huge part of my life. Sports was life in our household. I, I played basketball, football, soccer, ran track, baseball. At one point, I was even in the bowling league. And I don't know how many of y'all in a bowling league put your kids in a bowling league, but that's just that's kind of weird. And so uh, I was in a bowling league, and so it would take nothing in my house to, for us to get into a competitive uh, game or a debate or some type of argument because um, that's just how our house is. And so uh, growing up, my dreams in life were to uh, make it in the professional uh, realm, whether it was football or track or basketball, to make a lot of money, um, marry a smoking hot wife, have a few kids, a nice house, good job, and make a lot of money and be a morally good person. Like th- Those are my dreams. And uh, when those are the only thing you're living for, man, that's a lifeless place to be and a really dark place to be. And so when I was in middle school, a guy named Adam invited me to his youth group. And uh, he was a youth pastor, and I was kind of skeptical towards church and, and uh, camps and stuff like that, but I decided to go, and it was on Wednesday nights, and, and uh, I'm a pretty emotional, sensitive guy, and uh, this is the first time uh, I'd really heard the gospel in its full form, and he was preaching from the Word, and I was just in tears 
tears every Wednesday night because God was exposing me and, and, and I realized what I was living for and that that wasn't what fully satisfied me. And so that's when I really heard about Jesus for the first time. My life began to, to change. Um, and so from that time on through high school and college, God gracefully placed older men in my life to show me what it looked like to walk with God and how to follow Jesus and um, how to share my faith and how to read the word. And um, I'm extremely thankful for those guys. And um, one of the guys actually here, Ethan Speak, which is Emily French's fiance, and uh, I'm just thankful for him because he's encouraged me and sharpened me in, in ways uh, I can even imagine. So I'm thankful for him. And so uh, another way I tell my story is through the book of Hosea. And so I don't know how many of you guys have read the book of Hosea, but Hosea was a prophet. And so in the Old Testament, God would give prophets a, a mission or something to do or something to proclaim to his people. And so Hosea has this awesome mission. In, in that God gives him. And the, the mission is, he's like, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. So I don't know how many of you guys are like, man, I want that mission. <laughs> that, that sounds great. And uh, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And the prostitute's name is Gomer. <laughs> and so th- that's strike two for me. Um, the name is Gomer. And so Hosea is obedient. He goes, he marries uh, Gomer, this prostitute, and they're married for a few years, have a few kids. And, um, you know, one day Hosea wakes up and, and Gomer is nowhere to be found. So Homer is looking, I mean, uh, Hosea is looking um, for Gomer and can't find her. And Gomer went back to uh, the street corner, back into prostitution. Um, so I couldn't imagine being Hosea. Like, man, I'm supposed to be this leader, and I can't even keep my wife at home. Like, man, I, I'd just be heartbroken. And so God doesn't say to Hosea, hey, I have this awesome wife over here for you to, to marry, and Gomer's done away with. He's like, no, I want you to go and marry her again. Like, that's strike three for me. Like, what? God, you want me to go marry her again? And, and Hosea deserves a lot of credit because he goes after her. And I just picture him going through these sketchy uh, neighborhoods looking for his wife and asking people, like, hey, have you, seen, have you seen my girl? Have you seen Gomer? And um, he finds her on the street corner being sold uh, into sex slavery. And he has to buy back his wife. Like, how embarrassing is that? Like, you have to buy back your wife. And, and he pays what he has to, to get his wife back. And he takes her home and um, renews her vows. And, and uh, he married her again. And so uh, that, that's my testimony in a nutshell. Um, God continuously pursued me as I went back to the street corner to find these things I thought would give me life and satisfy me. And so uh, God continued to pursue me and woke me with, with his grace and wrap me in his arms. And so... Uh, like Tony said, I played for K-State, and uh, my time there was awesome. Playing with Coach Snyder was a lot of fun, and I played corner, which is on defense, those of you who don't know, and uh, I played running back in high school, so when I got to K-State, I'd never played corner before, ever. So I was, a, I'll be honest, my freshman year, I was the worst corner in the Big 12. I was horrible. I don't even know how, why I was on the field, um, but over time, I began to work hard and earn my spot, um, and so I kind of have a funny story about Coach Snyder that I love telling. And uh, we're playing uh, the Texas Longhorns. Any Longhorns fans? Yes. Okay. Um, 
We're playing the Texas Longhorns this last year in Austin, Texas, and it, it's awesome football weather. It's raining, uh, so I mean, this is smash mouth football because the ball can't really be thrown a whole lot because it, it's so wet and slippery. And so, uh, also kick returns. So they kick the ball to me. I catch the ball, fake left, go right, and the hole opens up just perfectly. I'm like, man, I'm about to score. And uh, but they about, they, they pin me to the sideline, and so they push me out of bounds. But I go out of bounds with a, a full head of uh, steam. I can't get that out. Full steam ahead. That sound right? Yeah. I'm going fast out of bounds, and I see a metal bench. So like the corner of a metal bench. I'm like, man, I'm about to hit that thing head on. I'm about to break my back or something crazy. Um, and so I spin inside and hit something else that breaks my fall off. Fall to the ground, get back up, kind of wipe myself off and look down. And 76-year-old Hall of Fame Coach Snyder is on the ground. <laughs> and his eyes roll in the back of his head. And... And uh, all I can think of is that time, I'm like, God, please do not let him die here in Austin, Texas. Because uh, Coach Snyder pretty much saved K-State, and that's not how I'm going to be remembered as a guy who killed uh, Coach Snyder. And the weird thing is, you think I would have like, helped him up. But I just kind of looked at him and walked off. Like, that's so sick, right? And so uh, I don't know if I was getting back at him for those sprints or all those things he made, made me do, but uh, um, so that's a funny story. So where I am now, this last spring semester, um, I was taking one class. The greatest schedule ever, I've ever had is one class in my spring semester. reason why I took one class is because I failed a class in the fall. So I'm being transparent with you guys. I tried in school, but I failed a class, had to retake a class, and so uh, I took that class and I got my degree. So such you know, I got my degree. Um, I did an internship with a church uh, in Manhattan, and I was working out for the NFL. And so I was working out for the combine and, and the draft, and I ended up getting signed by the Tennessee Titans, like Tony was saying. And so this is crazy that, man, I, I have all the dreams that I wanted as a, as a young kid is right in front of me. And so I go down to Nashville and um, went to the rookie mini camp, and I decided that my heart was in it, and my passions just changed over time um, from football to just sharing the gospel and investing in young men. And so I decided to come back to Wichita and to, to speak and do some football camps and, and to go into full-time ministry. But as I was going through that process, it's really interesting to see what people see as ultimate in life. Like people are talking to me about the NFL. I'm like, oh, man, like, yeah, you can play in the NFL. You can make all this money. I mean, the fame uh, is right there. And they're just like, I, I see in their eyes, like, they're excited. And this is what they see as ultimate. And uh, um, I kind of have this statement that I believe is valid and has a lot of truth to it. That everyone runs to and chases after the things they think will give them satisfaction and happiness. Like, would you guys agree with that, that statement? Um, and, you know, I saw it while I was in college and on the football team. Uh, guys chasing after relationships, girls, partying, uh, the good GPA so they can get the job and make a lot of money. Um, like, those are the things people are chasing after in college. And, you know, after college, it doesn't change. Like, you see people chasing after all these things uh, that they think will satisfy them. They get into the same old routines and to work their way up the ladder in their job or to make all this money or have that, that perfect family or that perfect marriage. And so the question Jesus asks in Luke 9, 23-27 is, What good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your very soul? He's like, what, what good is it? Like, what, what, what's the point? And so, say we go back to 1905. And I come to you guys with this awesome investment deal. And you're like, I'm, I'm telling you guys, you can make a lot of money. And uh, I say, 
you know, it's, it's this ship I want you to invest in. It's called the unsinkable ship. And I'm like, man, it has the best staff, the best food. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great things on it. And you can make a lot of money. You know, you're getting excited. And I, I put the, the piece of paper in front of you to sign, to invest in it. And before you sign, you, you're like, wait a second, what's the name of this ship? I'm like, it's the Titanic. Like, you guys would be fools to invest in something that was going to end up at the bottom of the ocean. And likewise, Jesus is saying that the world is the Titanic. And it's going to fade away. It's going to end up at the bottom of the ocean. And so I guarantee you that when you die and stand before God, the last thing you're going to think about is like, man, I wish I had those rims for my truck. I, w- I wish I would have saved them money for them rims on my truck. Or ladies, I wish I had that purse. Or, uh, man, I don't really know what ladies are into. Um, but I guarantee you, y'all could be thinking about all these materialistic things uh, that you wish you had. And I think that's because we, we live life so up close. We live life uh, in a temporary way. And I'm here to point you guys to an eternal perspective. Um, and this is my heart uh, for you guys this morning is to point you to something greater. Because, you know, I'm a sinner and the world looks good all the time. I mean, I can't even watch TV without seeing a commercial and like, man... Does that deodorant really make that? All those girls just come, you know, like, what? Like, the commercials and the way our world operates, is, it's just wants our attention. And it's just trying to draw us into all these things that will not give us life. And so I'm here to point you all to the gospel. And I was talking to my friend Ethan this morning about the gospel. And uh, as I was praying this morning, I kind of found myself thinking, like, man, should I talk through the gospel? Like, I'm at a church. You think they, they, they know the gospel? And um, I was just convicted because, you know, we never outgrow the gospel. And so, um, in Romans 1.16, it says, The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, uh, then for the Gentile. So the gospel is the power of God. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's just humbling. Because um, it's saying, man, here's God's glory and his standard, and we will never, no matter how hard we try, get on the same level. We, we fall short every time. We'll never hit that target of where God is. Um, Romans 5.8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And my favorite word in there is while. While we were still sinners. So he, he didn't say, man... I love Morgan when he got his life together and cleaned up his life, and then I loved him. He's like, no, while he was at his worst, a sinner, I died um, for the world. And then Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so uh, what that's saying is, for the wages of sin is death, so everyone in here has sinned. Like I said, we all fall short. So ultimately, we deserve hell. Which is a, a sobering thought to just sit there and think about. Like, man, I, I deserve hell. I don't deserve anything outside of hell. But, man, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we could have that relationship and have that hope in eternal life. And then Romans 10, 9 through 10. Um, which this, if, if you grew up in the church, this is a, a scripture verse that, you know, People may lead you through to say a prayer and, and to come to Jesus, but I kind of want to shed a different light on this verse. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So this is in the book of Romans, and so 
And that day in Rome, to be a believer and to confess that Jesus is Lord and to follow Christ... And back then, the Roman Empire, they would kill Christians and burn them at the stake. And so what, what that verse is really saying is if you're going to follow Christ, that means you're going to trade in your whole life uh, to follow me. And so it's not just saying some little prayer. It's like, man, God wants your heart and he wants your entire life. And so, uh, man, the gospel, man, it's just powerful. And so uh, I'm going to look at Matthew 13, uh, 44 through 47. And Jesus is in a boat telling all these parables uh, to this crowd of people. And uh, uh, Matthew thirteen forty four. I'm just going to read the, just 44 actually. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So I'll read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And so, so my heart for you all this morning is to point you all to something uh, that's life-changing, that's beautiful, that's, that's worth giving your whole entire life to. And so I kind of have three examples, three stories that I love telling people about uh, people in my life. And some of you may know uh, some of these stories. And the first story is about a guy named Blake. Blake Slaughter, for those of you who are big K-State fans, he um, was a middle linebacker on the football team. So when Blake came into college, he was an atheist. And the type of atheist that he told me in high school, he, he made people cry who believed in Christ. Like He made fun of them and just tore them down. Um, and he also has stories about, I mean, he'd wake up in places where he doesn't know how he got there. And he said all these wild stories that I really don't even believe happened. Um, but one day in Chipotle in Manhattan, Kansas, a guy shared the gospel with Blake. And he left in tears. Because God, man, opened his eyes. And he realized it was true and it changed his life. And, and Blake had a great career at K-State. And has got a degree in mechanical engineering and business. And had opportunities to have all these great jobs and make a lot of money. But turned him down to go into the ministry at K-State. And uh, he's had a huge impact uh, in the black fraternities and the football team uh, at K-State. And so it's just awesome to see how God just man, changed his life and his heart. And is using him for his kingdom. Um, another story is a guy named Gentile. And uh, Gentile uh, is from China, and I met him maybe two years ago, I don't know, maybe two years ago, I don't know. Um, Me and Ethan actually sat down next to him in in the the dining hall at K-State, and we got got to know him, and we found out that he had never had a home-cooked meal ever since he's been in the States. And so two weeks later, he came home with me for Easter, so I don't know if he really trusted me or something, but he came home with me and uh, had a home-cooked meal, and we went to church. And the thing about Gentiles, he heard the gospel multiple times from myself, I'm sure from Ethan and from other people at K-State, um, but it just wasn't really resonating with him. And so one time we went to an FCA camp uh, right outside of Manhattan, and he got to experience all these believers coming together and worshiping, and he got to hear the gospel multiple times uh, from, from the speaker there. And, and we left that camp, and I was asking him questions like, Gentile, like, what would you say you are with Jesus? And he's like, you know, I, I think I believe in Jesus. I'm like, okay, that's a step. And he asked me the question. He's like, well, can I follow Jesus and Buddha? I'm like, man, that's a great question. Um, I don't really know what to say at, at the time, but something kind of hit me. And I was like, Gentile, like, you have two parents, right? And he's like, he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, when your dad pursued your mom and asked her to marry him, 
when I got up at the altar to get married, you know, he had, he had to turn his back on every other woman in the world and say, I only want you. And he's like, yeah, that's what he did. And I'm like, that's what Jesus wants with us. He wants us to turn our back on everything this world has to offer, every other little God, and he, he wants to say, I only want you. And so uh, I think once I said that, he understood. And uh, I want to say he came to Christ that night, or it could be through processing to do with some other guys. Um, but Gentile, uh, his life's completely changed. And he's at K-State, and he told me he's, on Wednesday nights, he goes and shares the gospel with his Chinese students. And I was texting him a few days ago, and he told me he's praying for his country, uh, China. And uh, one time I was going on a spe- a, another speaking engagement, and he's like, Morgan, I understand that uh, I need to find a woman that loves Jesus too. I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm just fighting back the tears. Because um, it's, it's just awesome to see the gospel change someone's life and the power that it has. Um, and so the third story is a, a story about a guy named Paul. And so some of you guys may know Paul. I'm talking about Paul in the Bible. Um, a little bit about Paul. Before his name was Paul, he was, he was, his name was Saul. And he killed and persecuted Christians. So he, he would drag people out of their home and persecute them and, and bind them and, and kill them. And, and he almost found joy in that. He was passionate and zealous about that. And so one day he's on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. And he has this encounter with God. This, this bright light hits him. He falls to his knees. And, and he has this encounter with God. And instead of going to Damascus to persecute the church, he goes preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, I was kind of thinking about that, and as I'm driving up here, you know, the reality is, I really don't uh, know you all very well, you all don't know me very well, Um, everyone in here is at different places in their life, some people really want to grow spiritually, some people are going through a hard time, maybe someone doesn't really want to grow spiritually, and they're just like, man, why am I here? Like, that's that's the reality, and so I'm thinking, like, what can I say to you all that will change your day, uh, your week, your month, you know, that will really have an impact on your life, and so I think to myself, man, what what changed Saul? Like, a guy who's so passionate about persecuting the church and, and, and persecuting Christians, like, what changed his heart and his life? And so, if we look at Acts 9, 26 to 27, it gives us some insight to that. Um, It says, when he came to Jerusalem, so he's talking about uh, Saul or Paul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. So you see all these disciples like, oh, snaps. This is Saul. We know what he's about. Like, we ain't about to let him in our group that that easy. Um, And so it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So do you guys see what uh, Barnabas said? It said he had seen the Lord. It said he had seen Jesus and everything completely changed. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. His eyes were open and it changed everything. So I encourage you guys to fix your eyes on Jesus, this man that was like nobody else, that was fully God, that was fully man, this man that walked on water, that healed the sick, that demons shudder at the very sound of his name. Wind and waves obey him. He, he, he brings the dead to life. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He hung out with the prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners. He was whipped, beaten, flogged, mocked, nailed to a cross, pierced, buried, and rose again in three days. That's just scratching the surface. 
And when I read Rose again in three days, I feel like we should have a party. <laughs> like just music should just start and, and stuff should be falling and have more muffins in the, in the lobby. Like we should just have a party. Because if the resurrection is true, it should change everything. It should change how we live life, how we uh, treat our relationships, our finances, how we live, why we live. It should change everything if the resurrection is true. Man, Jesus is... Man, I was reading Philippians 2 this morning, and I wasn't going to plan on talking about this, but it said that God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above all names, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord on heaven, on earth, and under earth. So I like joking around with my friends that, man, you'll either bow or you'll bow. You're going to be made to bow if you don't, because, man, that's just who we serve. And so I want to leave you all with a few challenges or an invitation or something to wrestle with um, in your heart. Um, Acts 111, um, this is when Jesus ascends back into heaven and uh, all the disciples are sitting there just looking up, just watching this happen. And if I'm with the disciples, I'm just like, wow. This is crazy. Like, this dude just went into heaven like, wow. But these two angels come, or maybe it's one angel, I'm not for sure, and it's like, you know, Jesus is going to come back the very same way he left. So I'm here to tell you guys that Jesus is going to come back. He will. And, and so for those of you who have not made that decision to follow Jesus, um, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Mark 1.15, it talks about repenting and believing. And so in a simple way of uh, illustrating that, I mean, you're going this direction, and repenting means you're stopping, turning away from that old life, that old pursuit, and you put your trust and faith in Jesus. And, and I think faith um, in Christ can be illustrated uh, with trust as well. And so a uh, girl would illustrate that. If I were to say in 30 seconds, a wild stampede is going to run through those doors and just go crazy in here, and y'all believe me, what would you guys do? Run. Right. If you didn't run, I don't know. I might have a question about you, but uh, um, you get up and run because you believe me. And so, same with Christ. If you believe that Christ is who he says he is, then your life would follow. And so, by no means am I saying we have to earn our salvation, but if you really believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, and your life will follow. And so if you haven't made that decision, uh, make that decision. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So he's saying, man, I'm going to wipe your slate clean if you come to me. And that's, that's grace, because again, you look at Saul's life, and who he was, and how God used him. David, I mean, the guy committed adultery, and then had that woman's husband killed. I don't know, any of y'all who have baggage, y'all ain't got that kind of baggage. Like, that's, that's real. And, and God used him and called him the man after God's own heart. And then, even look at one of his disciples, Matthew, he was a tax collector. And, and tax collectors back in the day, they were Jews working for the Roman Empire, pretty much taking way more money than they were supposed to, and funding this Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, they pillaging towns and, and killing and raping women and kids. Like, they just did this unspeakable things and and so that's who Matthew was and he was a huge part in the church and so uh, I mean that's grace God will wipe your slate clean and use you um, for his name and so there's nothing we can do uh, to earn our position to earn our salvation so like me and how to earn my spot on the football team and work hard to get that starting spot that's not how God works 
He's like, my son has done all the heavy lifting. He put the wrath, all of our sin on his back so that we could have this position before God. So we could be called sons and daughters. And so from that position of being a son and daughter, then we live a life of obedience uh, under Christ as Savior and, and, and Lord. And so God's grace and love should compel us to live obedient lives. And so, man, following Jesus gives us a hope that we'll one day be with Jesus um, in heaven. And, man, I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. My affections and for this world get farther and farther away, and I just, I just can't wait uh, to see Jesus and to be with him one day. And I just long for that day. Um, and so my next question, now that, that was a long question or challenge. My next question and challenge is for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, I want to point you to what Jesus said in Luke nine twenty three. He said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So I'm just going to break that down real fast. So he said to deny self. So what that means is very simple. To say no to self every time. And to say yes to Jesus every time. It's as simple as that. And it says to take up your cross. I think it's funny because I think nowadays crosses are like super popular. We got them on everything. We got them on shirts. I got one on my wrist. uh, Tattoos. I mean crosses are popular. But back then, man, a cross or dying on the cross was the most shameful kind of death that you could ever die. That you could ever die. And, you know, I, I kind of did some research and watched a few videos. And medical doctors say that back then the Romans would put long rivets into your wrists and then into your feet that would strike the nerves. And then they put you up on this post. And they put you up on this post. Um, they drop you on this post and all the joints would become dislocated. And their lungs would fill up with mucus. And they'd have to just get this deep <gasps> breathing. And so people say that the sound that you heard uh, from people who were being crucified was the labored breathing of them trying to catch their breath. And so, I don't know if you guys knew, but the average amount of time it takes to die from crucifixion is not two or three minutes. It's not two or three hours, but it's two or three days. But if you had a really nice centurion, he would take a club and break your legs so you couldn't push up and then you'd die a lot faster. So that's, that's how much, man, Jesus loved you. He was, he was willing to die and die the most shameful death, a criminal's death, and he took our place. And so when we die to ourselves, we are most alive. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So he asks us to, to trade in everything. And I love how this verse ends. It says, and follow me. So denying self and taking up your cross, I mean, those sound like really two morbid things or hard things, the things you may not like when you hear it. But I love how he ends this verse. It says, and follow me. So it's like we trade in everything. We die to self and take up our cross. But in return, you get me. You get Jesus. And then Luke 9, 24 um, the next verse after says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. And so my question is, is, ask yourself the question, how can I lose my life for the gospel? How can I lose myself for the gospel? How can I leverage what I have to move the gospel forward? So that's with your finances, with your relationships, with your time, with your job, uh, with anything. How can I leverage it 
for the gospel and to move it forward. To glorify his name. Because Jesus loved you so much that he stretched out his arms so we could embrace him. And, and Jesus is worth it every time. And, um, you know, I, I've experienced a lot of things. You know, playing in front of thousands of people, meeting a lot of famous people, great athletes, um, gotten awards. You know, nothing, nothing, nothing compares to surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. And you guys can go out and try all you want to find your satisfaction and happiness and all of these things, but uh, they're going to fail you every time. And so uh, I want to encourage you all to, to press into Jesus, um, to follow him, and then to, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Because it, it's a joyful journey. It's a joyful journey. And so uh, I just want to pray for you guys. And I don't know what we're going to do next, but we're going to do it. And so, uh, um, dear Father, um, I just thank you for today, God. Thank you for this church, God. I just thank you uh, for the believers here, God. Thank you for pursuing us, God. I just want to praise you um, for your mighty power, God. You are the creator. You are everlasting, God. God, your word stands forever. God, you say that um, the nations are like a drop in a bucket to you. God, that you measure the waters on this earth in the hollow of your hand. God, that you measure the heavens with the breath of your hand. Father, um, you sit enthroned above this earth. God, you, um, God, you are awesome. God, and I pray that um, the gospel and who Jesus is would just penetrate our hearts. And God, it would compel us to live lives abandonedly. God, and that we would die to ourselves, take up our cross. God, that we wouldn't hold on to anything this world has to offer, but we would let it go and offer it up to you. Father, so let's pray for the hearts in here. God, um, we just praise you, and I pray that you use us uh, to make an impact um, on this world for your glory. God, just not pray, amen.